This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Here's what's happening at Right From The Deep. First, thanks to our patrons on Patreon. If you're wondering what that is, yes, yay. Patreon is a platform that enables creators to get paid because it does, in fact, take time and money to put these podcasts together and pay for the hosting and all of that stuff. So you guys on Patreon, you really help make this podcast possible. You can find out more information at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Right From The Deep. And special thanks to our July Sponsor of the Month. Can you believe it's July already? (laughs) Wendy L. McDonald. Not only is Wendy a writer, she also produces her own weekly short inspirational podcast on Spotify. And that's called Hope Walking with Wendy. We'll include the link in our show notes. Yeah, so you can check it out. And another thing is that we have a sponsorship from the Novel Marketing Podcast with host Thomas Umstead Jr. And there's the guy who knows like everything about marketing and books and all of that stuff. We highly recommend the podcast. You guys can find it at novelmarketing.com or in your favorite podcast app. And in this sponsorship, we've been bringing you Novel Marketing's 10 Commandments of Book Marketing, and they've been super fun. (laughs) Well, this week we're talking about commandment number nine, thou shalt not publish thy first book first. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the most controversial commandment that they have at Novel Marketing, but think about an athlete. Your first race is never in the Olympics for gold medal. You have a lot to learn before you can get to that level. So it is with writing. Your first book isn't gold medal quality. It's the training ground. Writers too often feel that any word they write is wasted if it's not published. But you can't get better at writing without writing. That means lots of words are going to be practiced. And that's perfectly okay. Right. And we're not saying that first book can never be published. But we are saying encouraging later, later after you're better. You know, too many writers get overly focused on that first book and they get discouraged when it doesn't get published or they publish it themselves when it's really not ready. So again, don't, we're encouraging you, don't publish that first book first. For more book promotion and platform help, listen to Novel Marketing in your favorite podcast app or at novelmarketing.com. We've also been sharing wonders with you, and I had a wonder happen to me just last week. Don, my husband, was uh, scheduled to go and renew his concealed carry license. Yes, we live in Oregon. We got guns. So he was uh, scheduled to go renew his concealed carry, but he needed his birth certificate. I wasn't too worried because I knew where it was. Uh, The night before, I went into the garage where we have our fire safes, and in those fire safes, we have all our important papers son of a gun I opened up the fire safe and it was empty oh no and I thought to myself huh (laughs) so I searched all the other fire safes no important papers I came into the house and I searched every inch of the house no important papers I came out to the cottage and I searched every bit of the cottage nothing so I was about to blow when I stopped and I said God 
I have no idea what I did with these because it was clear I had done something with these papers because, hey, Don doesn't even know where they are. So I had done something with these papers. And I said, Father, I just need you to show me. I don't want to mess up Don's appointment. It took him three months to get this appointment. And so I walked back to the house and then I felt the push to go back into the cottage. I walked in the front door of the cottage, walked around my desk, behind the desk, on the floor, by the file cabinet was a small red plastic paper container. And I looked at that and I couldn't understand why, but I leaned over and I reached in and son of a gun, if I didn't pull out the folder with the birth certificates. (laughs) And then I remembered when we evacuated for the fire back in October last year, for some reason, I didn't take the fire safe with the important papers. I put them in this plastic container and put them in the back of the vehicle. There's no way I would have remembered that. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. (laughs) There's no way I would have remembered that on my own. But I prayed and God said, daughter, I'm going to show you this kindness. And he turned me around, walked me into the cottage and walked me right to that container. I mean, how amazing is it that the God of the universe has done that for me? And I can't tell you how often he's done that for me. I used to get so angry when I couldn't find things, but now I just turn to the one who knows all and say, show me, Lord, and then try to rest in him until he does. Very cool. And now, here's the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Deep. I hope you can hear my smile because (laughs) I'm just plain happy right now. We have a guest with us, and we're all smiling. I'm going to let Karen introduce our mystery guest. (laughs) I've been so excited about this interview. Um, We are talking today with our guest, Robin Jones-Gunn, who I have known since 1996 when I was two years old. (laughs) No. When I came to what was then Questar Books, but is now Multnomah Books, to head up their fiction line, Robin was one of the authors I was working with, and God just bound our hearts together, very much like he did with me and uh, Aaron. And so Robin is a treasured friend, has been a treasured friend. In addition to that, she's an unbelievably talented author. She loves kids. She loves teens. Her Christy Miller books have been made into movies. Her Father Christmas books have been made into Hallmark movies. So she is just a very gifted, talented, warm, and loving person. And she makes my heart smile every time I see her. So we are so happy to have you here, Robin. We are just delighted. Oh, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have right now. I kind of swallow a few tears. Oh, I probably should jump in and say we are praying that Christy Miller will be made into movies. We've gotten close. It's fallen uh. apart. Up and down, up and down. So maybe at one point when I was talking to you, it was like, it's so close, it's going to happen. But not yet. Okay. But, but thank you for that very kind introduction. You are welcome. Well, Robin, we are glad to have you here. So let's dive in with the thing we ask everyone. What does the deep mean to you? I love that word, the deep. <laughs> because from when I was a teenager and stumbling onto the verse that that deep calls to deep. Mm, And I felt like that's what I want in my relationship with the Lord, to have that deeper level and to be in that place where it's a communion. 
and there's this sweet relationship that's growing and growing and growing. We lived in Hawaii, as you know, Karen, for 10 years. Recently, we moved to Southern California, but I had a pet name for the Pacific Ocean. I started calling it Deep Blue because mm-hmm. it's deep and it's blue, but where we <laughs> live, we, I, I got to see it every day, and it's mysterious and wide, so that deep call to deep. I always wanted to be walking along the ocean or, and I know Karen, you love the coast too. You love that call of the ocean on your creativity. It stirs up those waves, like the rest of the verse, deep calls to deep and all your waves wash wash over me. Right. And so um, I have to tell you a a story about going out into deep blue. Mm -hmm. Soon after we had moved to Maui, we had friends that had a little, uh, pontoon boat it's like a raft right with a motor and he was a photographer and David said come on out I'll take you out we went out deep 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 I mean further and further and further out in this little raft and felt so small Mm -hmm. and then he said slide he stopped and said slide over the edge of the boat and go down about 18 inches and that was terrifying because we were out so far (laughs) And it's the big, big, deep ocean. But I did it. I slid over the edge and went down. And I could hear the whales. There's dogs. It was a life-altering moment of being in that reverberating deep and hearing them. And then coming up for air and then going back down and just... and not really knowing what else was all around because we were <laughs> out in the deep. But that sense when I got back in the boat and I just felt like my life was in 3D and like <laughs> light was shooting out of the ends of my fingernails. <laughs> that was amazing. That was so, so amazing. That experience of going in the deep has brought me during times when I've been journaling of just calling me deep calling to, to to go and slide over the edge. Go ahead and be willing, even though it's vast and terrifying. So for me, the the deep is really another word for it is mystery. Mm-hmm. And that relationship with the Lord is such a mystery because we are so small. We cannot understand all that he is doing, all that he is accomplishing, all that is in motion in this universe around us, but that he would care for us. And my favorite place where that word is used in scripture, besides the deep calls to deep, is Exodus 20. And it's this is Moses. He's going up to Mount Sinai. The mountain is smoking and there's thunder and lightning. And it says that all the people stood back, mm-hmm. but Moses stepped into the deep mm. darkness because God was there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I want that in my life. I want to step into that mystery, step into all that is thundering and crazy and where the human response to pull back and just go, I I can't understand it. I can't touch it. But that Moses, this friend of God, stepped into that deep 
and the darkness because one reason God, God was there. Was there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give an altar call right now. <laughs> You know, the thing is, though, Robin, you're absolutely right. That's if the writer doesn't go there, what are they going to write about? Right. What are they going to say to anybody unless they're going into that mystery and going into that deep and getting called there by God to figure out what they have to say? What message is there? And if you don't feel so humble and small and at the same time like the ends of your hair are on fire like because of the mystery then the passion you bring to the story will be pattern instead of passion it'll just be i know how to put paragraphs together i know this point of the book it's supposed to go like this and it's supposed to go like you know i studied it all i've got the formula I can plug it all in, and there, I made a book. But where's the story? You know, where's the mystery that propels us as readers to ponder? And I love how you, on your show here, talk about the wonder and exploring that. How do you call it, Karen? Exploring the wonder or? Savor. Yes, yes, savoring the wonder. We have to do that as writers or else we are doing a disservice to this gift that was given to us. We're just going through the motions and we're not going deep. We're not pulling out something that can change a heart. Well, there was a factor to that, too. When you were in that pontoon boat with that friend, it was clear going that far out into deep blue that going that far out that you trusted your friend he was your guide and you trusted him and when he told you to go over the edge and 18 inches deep you said that was scary that was really scary but you did it because of your trust in him for us in our relationship with god as believers and as writers we need to trust him even when he's saying to us slide over the edge and go in 18 inches deep just far enough to hear go in there and and we look and all we see in our mind is jaws all we see <laughs> yes <laughs> we hear yeah. that background music that's what i was thinking i have to admit it <laughs> We know that if we go over the edge of what we perceive to be our safety, we will die. But indeed, mm. God is saying, come in here to live. And we have to trust him as the guide because the wonder that comes from that then is, is like you said, life-altering. And when you came up out of the water the way that you felt um, years ago, I was hospitalized uh, because they said I had an aneurysm in my heart. And um, I didn't even know what an aneurysm in my heart was. I didn't know. I'd never heard of such a thing. And so they did all these tests. They did one really cool test where where they, they run a thing across where your heart is, and you actually hear your heart beat, the blood whooshing in and out, whoosh, 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 whoosh. And then the, the tech looked at me and said, that's your heart. That's a good, strong heart. And I'm like, that is so cool. <laughs> That's my blood going through my heart. But mm. they found an aneurysm, and an aneurysm, I know now, is a blockage that could burst at any moment, and if it did that, I would be dead. And so I'm in the hospital, and I have a really good friend who was uh, the lead nurse on the cardiac care unit, and she came into my hospital room. And she looked at me and she said, Karen, this is this is really serious. You're way too young to be experiencing this. And I looked at her and I just started laughing. I said, I can't explain it. I am not afraid. 
I said, normally I would be just consumed with anxiety, but I'm not afraid. I said, something good is going to happen from this. And they went in. My mom's cardiologist, my mom and dad's cardiologist did the procedure of going mm. into a heart cath and see what they needed to do. And I still remember the sound of his voice when he leaned next to my ear and he said, Karen, your heart is perfect. It's beautifully perfect. Mm. And I came back to my, ho- my hotel, back to the <laughs> hospital room and, and came out of whatever slight um, putting me under they had done. And I looked at Don and I said, there is sunshine coming out of me. I said, there's <laughs> just coming. Oh. I said, I have never felt this in my entire mm. So I experienced, even as I'm talking to you, I'm getting chills. I experienced God's touch and his healing. Yes. And Everybody else was saying, this is dangerous. This is threatening your life. And I was just like, God is going to do something cool. And that's not normal for me to react that way. So sliding into that deep and knowing who had hold of me. And every single step of the way, I saw wonders and savored them. Mm. And that's that's where it started to me. That's where I looked at that and I thought the way I, I dealt with that life-threatening situation was so different from anything I've ever done. And that's because God. God reached in, took hold of me, breathed his peace into my heart, and drew me out with sunshine that he breathed into me. <laughs> it was the most amazing. I love it. It, it. It's so connected to the surrender of our control. Yes. Mm. I, I didn't know why David was saying slide over the boat. I didn't I didn't know what was going on. It, it, was he going to repair a leak? Were we into, I didn't know. It's just. <laughs> That step of surrender, like, okay, I'm not going to question. I'm not going to have to have control to understand it all. It's a mystery. Okay, I trust you. I'll do that. And that's exactly what you did. And I remember a moment with a woman that I thought was wonderful years ago, spent time with her. But it started to get to where every Thing you talked about she had an answer for she had an app, app for that uh, uh oil for that uh doctor for that. you know like everything oh you shouldn't be eating this food or something and there was one moment where i remember we were a group of women together and someone asked her something and she paused and had an expression i hadn't seen before and she said i don't know and i thought okay now we can be friends now now we can we can walk together into the mystery. I mean, we may never know, but that it's that I, I've let go of control, that I have to know everything and, and have it all figured out because we don't. When we humble ourselves before Almighty God, that's when he lifts us up. And I feel as writers, we have to do that with every story. I feel like this sort of rhythm I've had for decades of I present myself to the Lord before every book I write. And it's over a hundred books now. So I've saved all these. I write out a prayer, a prayer of surrender and dedication. I've kept them all. And it's that moment of saying, I, I'm your handmaiden. I'm your servant, Lord. May, may I be able to communicate your personality, your love to others. If, if that's something you desire for me to do through story. I, I want that, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have <laughs> control over this. So just, I just surrender this and make 
an offering of of myself before you to you know the living sacrifice we're called to be from Romans 12 and that's when he does this deeper work that's when deep calls to deep because I'm not in complete control anymore we have to do that as writers to have that sense that we are truly doing what we were created to do otherwise the influence from outside takes over if we aren't so centered and anchored to get get that audience of one to get that understanding of why I'm doing this even if no one ever reads it even if it has to be rewritten this is the process it's a mystery I have to go into this I think that he also, well, I know that he also brings partners alongside. Once we've surrendered and we've said, yes, I do this, however you want me to do this, he brings people, the people that he's brought to me in my life to assist me as a writer, to assist me in editing, to assist me. Aaron, if if Aaron hadn't come to me and out of the blue said, you know, I feel that God is leading me to join you in a ministry. And, and I had shared with her that I longed to be a chaplain to writers because so many of my mm-hmm. friends were so depressed and thinking about quitting and just beaten down. I said, we need to lift them up. We need to give them hope. And and if if she hadn't said to me, God had led her to that, I, I just sat there and stared at her. I was like, well, I can tell you what I've been thinking lately. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it was such a shared passion. It was so clear that God brought us mm-hmm. together. It was really amazing how that worked out. I, I remember too that that those who are brought into our lives have to be willing to submit. When I came to what was then Questar Books and became Multnomah Books, and you were the top author, you were one of the top authors. So I think you may have been the top author there uh, when I came. And and I got your manuscript. Uh, you turned in a new manuscript, and I read through it. And I had read your other books, and I thought, this isn't Robin. This 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 just this isn't right. And I was terrified. How do I go to Robin Aww. Jones Gunn? How do I go to Robin Jones Gunn, who I adore, and say to her, yeah, I can't accept this. This has to be rewritten. And I prayed and I prayed and I talked with people that I trusted in my family and asked them to pray for me. And so I went to Robin and and I shared with her um, that it wasn't acceptable. And I thought to myself, She's going to hate me. She's never <laughs> yeah. she's never going to want to work never. with me again. And so now you can tell your side of it. So that book was number 8, I think, in the Glenbrook series. Yes. And what was the title? Oh, it was Meadows. Meadows was never published. But to have written as as much as I had and as fast as I had about it, two or three books a year for decade and a half and then to get to the very last book in the series and to have turned in the story again that story was surrendered to the lord i did the work and then i received your your advice karen again it's that trust mm-hmm. i knew you i trusted you i wanted you to be my editor i wanted you to call me deeper in you know I wanted to be a better writer and so I remember that phone call and I was I was actually feeling kind of sorry for you because you were in such <laughs> agony <laughs> I hate to tell you this. you know but it was 
healing, not healing. I, it was to better the craft. Right. And I trusted that part of it. But I did hang up the phone and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And I felt like maybe this is it. Maybe it's the Wizard of Oz syndrome, right? Pay no attention to the right. <laughs> <behind the screen. laughs> and it was like, Karen, you're my total. You pulled back the curtain. <laughs> and now everybody knows I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Just sort of trying here and it's not working. But what happened as a result is that you mentored me and walked me through the process of what that last book was going to be. And Wildflowers was quite different from the first seven books. And I had a, an older character and she's struggling in her marriage. So I got to go into more issues and I got to see this story develop in a way that it it ended that series the way it needed to be ended. And then the next series I wrote was an entire series about women in midlife, which I would not have been prepared to write the Sister Chick series had I not gotten to know Genevieve, thanks to you, for you to, to challenge me to draw deeper and find a new character. Because I think in the other book, the character was 22 and like many other, you know, young flibbity gibbets, you know, but to dig deeper so that process was for good. And wow, if we could understand that as children of God and as writers and as those who are wanting to see our work make a difference, we have to be in that place of uh, to be teachable to that. But Karen, you're such a good teacher. You, you made it you made it a joy. And look how it strengthened our friendship. Right, right. That was a gift, too. I can't even begin to tell you what it meant to me when you contacted me after that phone call. I knew you would be in tears. And when you contacted me and you said, I trust you, you know, let's move forward with this. And one of the things that has always stayed with me that in our conversations afterwards, one of the one of the realizations we had was that your voice was missing in that book. You had tried mm -hmm. to do something a little different. You had been feeling that your stories were too fluffy and you wanted to write something more serious and and you with wildflowers you dealt with something more serious but it was back to robin's voice and mm -hmm. in meadows you were missing from the story and so when you went back to that and you accepted who you were as a writer and you just moved forward joyfully in that it it just it was a delight to me because the final manuscript when it came in was so so good and I've told Aaron before in my work as as an editor, nothing gives me more joy. You know, it's like the scripture that says, Paul's, is it Paul who says, nothing gives me more joy than to know that my children in the Lord have grown. And, and I, when I saw the advances in your writing, I just, and, and in your heart and your spirit and in our relationship, I, I just... I danced around my office. I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but what a gift that you gave me because that really could have been the end of my writing career if I had not been willing to receive instruction or had been so full of myself. I said, hey, look, I've written so right. many books and right. you're the new editor. You don't know this. I don't know. But the thing that that prepped me for was I wrote a Christmas novella 
uh, Finding Father Christmas. And then the publisher asked me to write a second one. So I wrote Engaging Father Christmas. And I got a new editor at that publishing house with that sequel. And that editor also, when I turned it in, said, nope, it's it's not like the first one. We really wanted more of a love story, though. The first one wasn't a love story. We need a love story. Can you redo it? And so I was befuddled, but I said, you know, it was for my good when Karen told me this. <laughs> and this editor is saying the same thing. I want to learn. I want to grow. Went back to work, wrote a second sequel. Turned it in, and she said, oh, dear, this is worse than the first one. But, I mean, she said it more kindly. Than that. <laughs> Just like, and, I was going to say, who is it? I'll beat her up. <laughs> oh, you know her. You love her. But, <laughs> and, I do, and I do, too. But it, I saw where I had gone as a writer, just sort of in that um, automatic place. Uh, I've got to get this deadline. I've got another project yeah, here yeah. and just do the work, do the work without the heart in it. So it goes back to that deep. Like I just skimmed the surface like, all right, you want a book? Here's a book. Done. <laughs> you know, and how cheap, how sad. So I turned it in the third time and she wanted, she gave me lots of good suggestions to make it more of a love story. And I did. And when I turned it in the third time, she said, I think the first one was better than this. I mean, it was just, so I wrote it a fourth time. I wrote Engaging Father Christmas four times and made it more of a love story than I had ever intended it to be. And I turned it in and said, I don't want to ever talk about this movie. I mean, I'm movie. I don't want to talk about this book. I don't want. And then sure enough, what was it? 12 years later is the phone call from my agent. Hallmark wants to make a love story Christmas movie out of <laughs> your Father Christmas book because you wrote a love story. You see, you see how that yes. works. Yes. If I had not been willing to surrender to the process and and be stripped of all the arrogance that I had of thinking I know how to do this, everybody stand back and you know <laughs> I'll do it. I'll get it done. But that what is God doing? Calling us deeper, more, bringing us closer to Him in the whole process, and. What a joy that actually that Hallmark did three Christmas movies out of the Father Christmas novellas. Never would have happened if it hadn't been a love story. Wow. That editor. So, no, I won't beat her up. (laughs) You know what else I'm hearing about all of this, though, Robin, is that even veteran writers get difficult edits. And I think sometimes the newer writers out there feel like all of the hard work is just once you get to the publishing phase. You know, once you get published, it's all smooth sailing. That's not true. You know, it's still... It's still a process. It's still work and it's still humility and it's still growing and it's still watching what God does with each thing. And it's a surprise, right? The mystery, once again, the mystery. But if we are willing to step into the mystery, because God is there, then it's thunder and lightning. Don't stand back. But I think we all have. And those times in my life when I've stood back from a project and not entered in at that deeper level, that's when graciously God has brought editors who called me, no, 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 come deeper, come deeper. Mm -hmm. 
You know, what I love about all this is that it speaks to us as writers and it speaks to us as those who follow Christ because life nowadays is very difficult for those who claim Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And so many places, if you speak the name of Jesus, you know, you're being left out and and cut out. I just watched a news report this morning about a young woman who was valedictorian of her high school class Mm -hmm. and the principal put the kibosh on her valedictorian speech because she had had the audacity to say that the purpose of life is to live serving Christ. Mm-hmm. How dare she do that? It was a public school. How dare she do that? And rather than honoring who she was and all that she had accomplished because of her faith in Christ, they told her, no, you can't give this speech. You have to write something else. And and I, I listened to that and I thought, Lord, we are in a world that is willingly walking into darkness without you that is willingly saying, leave God behind and all the ills of the world will be fixed. And that's never going to happen without us going into the deep with him, without us embracing the mystery, without us saying, there's there's a friend of mine who listens to prophecies. And I, I'm still, the jury's still out for me on how I feel about some of that. But one of the things that she's been saying is so many current day prophets are talking about the fact that it's just going to continue getting more difficult um, to follow God in this dark world. And we have to go deeper with him so that whatever comes, we can say, yea, though he slay me, I will serve the Lord. So, you know, we we have to hold on to the deep. We have to swim in the deep. We have mm. to embrace God's mystery in every aspect of who we are and in every aspect of our writing, because only in doing that will we bring God's truth and only in bringing God's truth will we change the world. Here's the thing. We have to write. Yes. Those who are listening to this podcast, I want to tell you right now, you have been stalling. Stop it. Get back to work. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Mama Robin here. Mama Robin is telling you, get get that book finished. Get that article written. Get those words out on your blog. And, and to be willing to be uh, taught along the way, but to put in the work because we need truth and light in this world more than ever. Right. Amen. And what a perfect word to end on. Robin, thank you so much. Oh, it was my delight. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Erin. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at writefromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same.